You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. And for the rest of us, y'all can go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 3. We're going to read through verse 15 in just a minute. John chapter 13, verse 3. Uh, Y'all may know Carl Lewis. He was a famous runner in the 80s and 90s, and he won his first Olympic gold medal at the 1984 Los Angeles Games, and he won it in the 100-meter race. He also went on to win the gold in the 200-meter, in the long jump, and in the 4-by-100-meter relay, which had only been done, I think, once before. But a few years later, Carl Lewis's father passed away. And so he went up to his casket and his, uh, Carl Lewis, his mother was close by and he took his, the first, what I believe was his first gold medal, that hundred meter relay gold medal. And he put it in the hands of his father who was in that casket. And his mom was kind of shocked and you know, like, should you be doing that? And he said, uh, don't worry, mom, I'm going, I'm going to win another one. And so, uh, that next games, uh, he was in a race against the famous Ben Johnson. And uh, we have a picture of it up here, I believe. And you may not realize this, but that's actually Ben Johnson winning. Ben Johnson beat Carl Lewis for the gold medal uh, in the 88 games. Now, Johnson was the Canadian uh, world record holder, so he was no joke. And Lewis was halfway through the race when uh, when Johnson was still in front of him. Matter of fact, at 80 meters left, he realized he, he was still too far behind to catch up. And he thought to himself, he said, Lewis recounting of this said, I, I told my dad, I said, Dad, you know, I guess I, guess I couldn't. <laughs> he just said, you know, I guess I couldn't get it done. It's over, Dad. And as Johnson crossed the line, you know, he points his finger in the air. He actually looked back over his shoulder at Lewis too, uh, in pride of what he'd just done. And uh, Lewis was wiped, but uh, when he noticed Johnson after the race, he noticed that his muscles were a little more defined than usual, and his eyes were kind of discolored yellow, which are signs of steroid use. And so Lewis thought to himself, he said, you know what, I don't have the medal. His words were, but I could still give to my father by acting with class and dignity. So he walked over, shook Lewis's hands, even though he thought he probably cheated with drug enhancement. And of course, if y'all don't know the rest of the story, he did. He got stripped of that gold medal and the gold medal went to Carl Lewis. So he had the, he had the medal to replace what he had given to his father. Of course, he went on to win 10, in four different Olympic games, he won 10, 10 medals. Nine of them were gold, one of them were silver. And the reason I'm sharing this is because when it comes to sports and fatherhood, the one who finishes first (laughs) is not always the winner, right? And a, a man may be holding up number one and shaking it in your face as he pridefully crosses life's finish line, confident of his victory. But heaven has a different way of keeping score, doesn't it? And there is one of the best examples in all of Scripture in John chapter 13 of this. And I want us to read this today. John 13, verse 3. You can remain seated, but I'm going to read this. These are the words of God. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. 
He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and he poured into a basin and began water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. Uh, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. May God bless the reading of his word. Heaven has a different way of keeping score. And in that sense, so does parenthood, fatherhood, because greatness isn't, uh, as a parent, isn't always uh, marked by on the ball fields or in uh, recitals and dance recitals and music recitals. And parental success isn't always about what your kids give back to you, like with a scholarship, <laughs> right, or a good behavior. It's, it's not just what they give back to you, it's what you give to them that cannot be bought. And that's exactly what Jesus does for his spiritual children. In John chapter 13, he's, he's lavishing on them. He's spoiling them with gifts that money can't buy. But I don't want us to be confused this morning. But before we explain this, I think we first need to know what Jesus is not asking. And that's our first point. What is Jesus not saying? After Jesus washes his feet, he says, do you understand what I've done to you? And if there's a question that every father and probably every mother <laughs> has at some point asked their kids or at least said to themselves, it's the question, do you know what I do for you, <laughs> right? You want me to get you some water? You're 17. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm, I don't even live with you anymore. I can't drive there anymore. Uh, conversations uh, today are filled with, of, with adults talking about the ingratitude of youth. I mean, it's like a large portion of Facebook memes, right? And we say things like, when I was a kid, right, I walked uphill over shards of glass, <laughs> right, and when I, uh, just to get to school. And when I got there, if I looked at the teacher cross-eyed, she'd beat me with a cane and no one said a thing about it. I got dirt in my stocking for Christmas, and my dad worked 200 hours a week. And don't go Googling it, because I know there's only actually 168 hours in a week, but dad worked overtime, <laughs> right? And that's how, that's our attitude sometimes. I was actually talking to a church member this week. It's so funny. It was your brother. And uh, I was talking to Todd Baker, and he, uh, he was at, uh, at the beach, and I, I said, uh, uh, we were talking about the first, I, I told him, I said, first time I ever saw the beach, I was 11 or 12 years old, you know. And so I'm, oh, poor me. And um, he said, well, I was 14 before me and my brother saw the beach. And we were so scared of it that we tiptoed out in it because we thought it was like the Hatchie River. He'd just drop off. <laughs> it's like, that's, red, that's pretty redneck right there, all right? But there's always a generation. It seems like the next generation 
always has more than the previous one. And they're always less grateful for the things you had. You know, bigger house, cars, all that stuff. And I get it. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. All right? When he finished washing his disciples' feet, he doesn't say, do you understand what I do for you? That's not actually what he says. He actually says, do you understand what I have done to you? Church, Jesus isn't some disappointed father. He's not like us after church or when our kid complains, talking about our childhood and how lucky our kids have it. That's not what he's doing. He's, it's, this isn't his chance to kind of get back at it and set the record straight. Hey, you don't even know what I do behind the scenes for you, boy. Right? That's not what he's doing here. Right? What Jesus is saying and doing should be the first priority of every biblical parent in this room. First priority, and that's our second point this morning, and that's to give what outlasts you. Give to your kids what will be there when you're gone. John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father, what sets up his question, what sets up the washing of the feet, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Why did he get up? Because he knew he was leaving. Why did he bother to take the extra effort? Because he knew he was leaving. That's why he did it. And attention all dads, they've done a research and they found that 100% of people die. Right? And, and if Jesus doesn't return, you're going to die. God willing, if you don't die, you're still going to have your kids leave the house, hopefully. Right? You know, we, you pray for that. And, but, it, but what's ominous and definite is that you're going to leave this earth. And I promise you, just like the prodigal son, your kids can spend every lick of inheritance you leave them in a fraction of the time you've spent to earn it. And if that's what you think you're giving your kids, that's not enough. It's not enough. So what outlasts money? Well, first and foremost, complete cleanness outlast money. I know that's an odd phrase, complete cleanness, but it's here in the passage. And Peter can't believe Jesus is about to do this to him in John 13, 6. Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, hey, I, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will. Jesus said, you'll never wash my feet. I think it's funny that Peter had to literally take his feet out of his mouth for Jesus to wash him. He was always sticking his feet in his mouth, right? And Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. He says, well, then just throw me in the river. <laughs> I mean, just wash every bit of me. Wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, no, I don't got to wash all of you, right? You don't need to. The one who has bathed doesn't need to wash. What does that mean? Except for his feet. But he's completely clean. And you're, you are clean, Peter, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean, right? Now, wait just a minute. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and he knew that Peter was going to deny him. But Judas is not clean, and Peter is. Is that correct? Yes, because he's talking about salvation. There was a, a true story of a man named Charles. He, he got thrust on the scene pretty, uh, pretty quickly uh, from anonymity to notoriety in a very short time because of uh, 
because of his money and fame. And his name wasn't uh, really that familiar uh, to, at the time to people living in Boston in 1920. But he rose to fame because he made his millions by encouraging others to invest their money with him. He started an investment business called the Securities Exchange Company, and they promised 50% return uh, in 45 days on your investments or 100% refund in 90 days. 50% return, you know, and so uh, 40,000 people flocked to him to give him their money, uh, almost $15 million they gave him to invest. Some mortgaged their homes, some emptied their life savings to invest their money with Charles. But in August of that year, Charles Ponzi was arrested and charged, this is a true story, charged with multiple counts of fraud and larceny. And of course now, everywhere around the world, you ever wonder where the Ponzi scheme idea came from? If it's too good to be true, if it's a failed investment, it's a Ponzi scheme. There's a scheme named after Charles, right? And let me just tell you something. You fathers, some of you are investing in a Ponzi scheme with the way you raise your kids. Sports, band, recitals, better grades, good colleges, bigger vacations, newer cars. And we work ourselves to death to give those things to our kids. And the Bible doesn't say those achievements are bad. I coach soccer and baseball. My kids, I go to my Salem's piano recitals. I don't think those things are bad, but I think they're disproportionate. The money, time, and energy that we give to those things over God is lopsided in the church. And just like mortgage in your house to invest in Charles Ponzi, we're imbalanced in our spiritual portfolios. We're sideways. We're in the red on our spiritual investments. Do your research, church. There are no U-Hauls behind hearse. There's no scholarships in heaven, and there's no corner office or first place trophies in hell. And what you're doing to your kids matters. The reason our families are sideways is because we're neglecting the souls of our children and our families and our neighbors. We think people that are off the rails just need to do better or be better, right? Little Johnny just needs to be better. That's not what he needs. He needs to be clean, completely clean. If our children are not clean, it makes no difference what they accomplish in this life, at least not to them. I don't, God can use a sinner's, uh, a wicked man who's hell bent. He can use his actions for good, but it's not going to benefit that person at all. Last week we read uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 47, and if your eye causes his sin, tear it out. Better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm doesn't die and the fire isn't quenched. Jesus wasn't saying your eye is wicked in itself. He's saying your eye is insignificant compared to eternity. And your baseball games are insignificant compared to eternity. And you come to me as your pastor. I've had it for 30 years. People come to me, they drag their kid into my office, say, I don't know what's wrong with this boy. I can tell you something that's wrong with him. You haven't been teaching him the Bible. You haven't made Christ the priority of your life. You don't live and breathe Jesus. So don't come to your pastor befuddled in 10 years. And look, I also know that there are men and women right now that have given their hearts 
to Christ and that have poured out their prayers over their children who are still rebellious. All right? And to many parents, I say, hey, you're not doing the wrong thing. You're doing what's right. You just have to wait on the Lord and pray that he saves your child or brings them to repentance. God can do that. He can do it. If your child still got breath in their lungs, they can still repent and bow their hearts and their souls to God. That can still happen. And I pray for that. And I'm not so foolish as to think that just because my older kids are walking with the Lord that they won't abandon their faith. I don't know what's going to happen. So I keep praying. And I keep living on my face before God. And we need to think about that with our children. There, we have Bible studies here on Wednesday nights. 6.30. Men who study to pour and invest in your kids. We have small groups. 9.30. And y'all could be part of them. Make Christ your priority. Your kids are watching. Even you with adult kids. Even you grandparents. We are watching you. I watched my dad. My dad was on a church bus picking up rough kids in Nutbush this morning when he called me almost in tears because his brother, his younger brother, just got taken to the hospital to have emergency gallstone removed that's busting out of his, uh, the tube or whatever inside him. And so he had to finish his route before he could go see his brother downtown in St. Francis. And I'm thankful that I have a dad like that. And he didn't, which makes me respect him even more. One scholar noted, since Christ is his Lord and master, it seems absurd to Peter that Christ would wash his feet. But in refusing such a service, Peter rejects the principal part of his own salvation. The statement also contains a general lesson. In the sight of God, we are filthy and polluted until Christ washes away our stains. Now, since the claims, since Jesus claims the office of washing, everyone must offer himself to be cleansed from his pollution so that he may obtain a place among the children of God. And some theologians think the word wash there only refers to regeneration, the salvation, the eternal stuff, the righteousness that gets us into heaven. Right? When we call on the name of the Lord, we confess our sins to him, we call on him, we tr believe in his death, burial, and resurrection for our eternal salvation. Once and for all, once saved, always saved, right? That's what they think it's, that's the only thing for. And it is for that. But others think it's also, or, or instead of, just for local sins. When he says, when he refers to just his feet, your feet, you know, you didn't have, you had no sewer systems back in that day. And so your feet were the dirt, were filthy, dirtiest part of your bodies. They were sandals and they were filthy, Right? And so it's, it's a representative of the sin stains that we pick up along the way. You know, uh, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Right? And so there's all kinds of references about the feet in the Bible related to earthly sins. But I believe it's both. He's saying you need to not just wash me eternally, but every day, daily, I run back to the cross. I run back to the cross. I run back to the cross. And I confess my sins. My eternal fate is sealed, but I want my relationship. I don't want anything to be between me and God. And this isn't like someone running back to the cross to check their insurance policy, just to make sure everything's up to date. God's probably not your savior if he's your insurance policy. He should be your daily, you should have a daily relationship. You have a God who loves you and he desires to be with you. And when we let sin build up, it comes between us. And I believe that's part of the reason in verse nine, he said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, you don't need that. You don't, you've already bathed. You don't need to wash except for your feet, but you're completely clean. All right, church, this is 
There is no greater priority as a father or a mother than to communicate the need of our children to be completely clean before God. And then once they're saved, we can encourage them to go daily back to the cross. That is our number one goal. Cleanness outlasts because cleanness is the gospel. Being made right with God, Lord, save me, I need you. <laughs> I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were buried in the tomb. I believe you rose on the third day. And I believe you're, you're the only person, the only Savior in all humanity who is perfect and can save me from my sin eternally in heaven. I'm saved. I'm sealed by the, by the blood of Christ. But I also go daily back to confess my daily sins to him. To stay right with him. Cleanness outlasts, but second, life lessons outlast. You know, children are like wet cement. Right? Whatever falls on them makes a lasting impression. And Jesus is riding in the cement by washing the disciples' feet. John 13, 12. Jesus answers his own question here. Uh, when he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, you know, there were undergarments that were like robes under a robe. He said, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And here's, he's answering his own question here. For so I am. I am your teacher and Lord. If then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. Now, uh, there are folks, they're primitive Baptists, they believe that the, the feet washing is part of, is, in Lord, is a third ordinance. You know, we believe in the two ordinances, the baptism and, um, and the breaking of bread, Lord's Supper. But they add the literal foot washing to the, and I don't think they're sinning to wash feet, but I think because he says, I've given this to you as an example, I don't think it's meant to be an ordinance. Uh, but praise the Lord for, for washing people's feet. I don't think we can't, I love to see those in weddings when, when families do that, when a husband and wife wash one another's feet. And then he gives another answer to this unassumed question. Why did we need this example? He said, so that you would do it. So lesson one, I'll give you two lessons here before we close. Treat each other like this. You know, uh, a Holman commentary says, first we ought to pray, Lord, wash me. Then we need to pray, Lord, help me wash others. A father-in-law preached a message on this uh, that says, Lord, uh, it's, it's wash me, wash one another, and wash others, right? And you know, the entire New Testament is just chocked full, saturated with emphasis on examples, setting an example. And I've said many times that uh, the God didn't need to rest on the seventh day. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He didn't need to rest. He did it as an example. Jesus didn't need to be baptized by John the Baptist as, as a sign of repentance. He had never sinned, but he did it as an example. And Jesus didn't need to wash his disciples' feet. But he did it as an example. I loved yesterday, a lot of students were working and they had a car wash that had been postponed. And uh, all I saw out there was Alexa Daniel. And of course, uh, Annie and Josh and uh, washing those cars. And I was like, man, why didn't anybody, you know, people were like, why didn't more people show up? But I actually thought, man, what a great example. You need to know, you 20% in here that I don't look at I don't ever look at your money I don't ever touch your checks I don't know what you're giving I don't care that's between you and God but 20% typically in the church give 80% of the money do 80% of the service in the church and I don't mind that I don't mind the the loneliness of of people who 
look around and there's no one else serving but them. That's discipleship. That's what you signed up for. You signed up to show up when nobody else shows up. And so praise God for Alexa, smiling out there and washing those cars yesterday. It made me happier than if there were 30 people out there. I want 30 people out there. <laughs> but I, there's a joy in serving and knowing God honors it, even when no one else is doing it. You're not serving people because they deserve it. You're serving it because God deserves it. That's why you forgive your spouse. Your spouse will never be good enough. I don't, know, I don't care what an angel you're married to. I'm married to an incredibly godly woman, but Vicki still doesn't deserve everything I have to give. God deserves it. My children, they don't need to obey me when I've broken every law in the book. They don't deserve, I don't deserve their obedience. Christ deserves their obedience because the Bible says it. And so, the first one another, the first uh, feet that we should be washing as, our, as fathers is our own family's feet, at least figuratively. We should be the greatest servant in our home. If you will be the greatest servant in your home. You don't think your kids will notice that? Let me tell you something. Those rebellious little kids, those little smart aleck teenagers, they're not dumb. And they're going to reach an age and they're going to look at you and go, wow, they're going to. By the grace of God, they're going to. God help us, right? They'll have that come to, come to Jesus moment. Luke 22 Verse 24, despite, uh, I think one of the reasons Jesus washed their feet was also to help them get along with one another. The, the disciples were always arguing in Luke 22, 24 about, you know, who's, great, who's the greatest. And he says, it's not, you know, that's how the Gentiles act. Not so with you. The leader is the one who serves. And then he asked the crazy question for who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? You'd think he'd say the one who serves. He says, no, the one who reclines at the table. From the world's perspective, the greatest at the table is the one who ain't touching no chairs, ain't vacuuming no floors, ain't cleaning no toilets. No, 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 that's not me. That's what the world says. And Jesus said, but I'm a little different. I'm among you as the one who serves. And I'm the king of the world, right? I'm a king of the universe and I'm serving you. So take note. I then, your Lord, if I do this, you should do it too. Best thing to spend on your, and it's not just the, that the kids, that, that, that our spiritual children that we're serving them, it's not just of the menial task that we're doing, it's the time we spend doing it. Jesus was about to leave the earth and he spends time washing his disciples' feet. Of all the things he could be coaching them up on, church planning, uh, maps of where to go next, Right? You know, strategizing with them. I'm about to leave, so you got just got to be ready. Let's go over that demonic thing one more time. You know, how to cast out a demon. Let's do that again, right? When you baptize people, do it like I mean. What's you know? He's going, here's how to write a sermon, or here's here's how to teach a book. He washes their feet, <laughs> right? And and the best thing that we can spend on our kids is time. There was a young man who was sentenced to, to the penitentiary and the judge had known him since childhood, knew his father. His father was a famous uh, legal uh, scholar and actually had written a book called The Law of Trust, an exhaustive study. And so the judge asked the young man, do you remember your father? And he, he said, uh, yes, you know, your honor, I, I, I do. I remember him well. And he, so the judge trying to get some, see how this man's conscience was doing, said, well, considering that you're about to be sentenced, as you think about your wonderful dad, what do you remember most clearly about him? And there was a long pause. And he said, I remember when I went to him for advice. 
He looked at me from the book he was writing and he said, run along boy, I'm busy. Uh, when I went to him for companionship, he turned me away saying, run along son, the book must be finished. Your honor, you remember him as a great lawyer. I remember him as a lost friend. And the judge was heard mumbling under his breath, finished the book, lost the boy. Dads, at least figuratively, uh, we need to wash our family's feet. Don't write the book and lose the boy. Spend time with your kids. Lesson two, great men serve just like this, right? The higher your rank, Christian, the lower your service. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says, you're a people holy to God, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. That's a pretty high place, isn't it? An heir to, the, to, to heaven, an heir to the kingdom of heaven. And if that's your, if that's your height, then that means you've got to get pretty low. Revelation 1 verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. During, I love this story. During World War II, uh, England needed some to increase its production of coal. Not a very glamorous job for war support, kind of like our Rosie the Riveter in America, you know. And so Winston Churchill called all the labor leaders together to enlist their support. And he told him, he said, can you just picture for yourself after the war's over and we're victorious, the parade of all those people coming in victorious, those soldiers at the Piccadilly Circus. Just picture, he said, first would come the sailors who've kept the vital sea lanes open. Then would come the soldiers who had come home from Dunkirk and then gone on to defeat our opponents in Africa. Then would come the pilots who had driven out the enemy from the sky, the sailors, the soldiers, and the pilots. And last of all, he said, would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-soaked men in miners' caps. And someone from the crowd would cry, where were you during the critical days of the struggle? And with 10,000 voices would come the answer, we were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. Not all jobs in this life or in church or in the kingdom of God or in your families are glamorous. They're not prestigious. But it's, it's often the people with their faces to the coal who help the church accomplish its mission. And I thank God, I know faces to the coal men and women in this church. What Churchill called faces to the coal, we call hands of the towel, people of the towel. One scholar said when Jesus said, do you know what I've done to you? He might have added, and do you know who you are? You're heirs of the towel. The power, the impetus, and the grace to wash one another's feet is proportionate to how we see ourselves. Our Lord saw himself as king of kings and he washed their feet. Recovery of a consciousness that we serve Christ the king will compel us to service. We're not saved to serve. I mean, we are saved to serve, but we're not saved because we serve, all right? We get to do it because Jesus gave us an example of service forever, right? I tell people all the time, Good luck putting your pastor in his place. I live on the ground. I live in the dirt. You think you can kick me lower? I'll add 10, 10 sins to any accusation you make against me. Good luck with that. Good luck with putting me in my place. I'm the most wicked man in this room and I'll always be. 
right? And you fathers, you need to remember that. Your kids notice, no matter your age, grandfathers. We need to see some men finish well. I thank God for the pastors who've died without cheating on their wives. They've died holy men, Adrian Rogers. He may have had his faults, but he died a, a man godly and with his face set to the coal. And we need to be those kind of men. And I'm thankful that I had that kind of father. And you may not have had it, but you can be it. You can start right now, today. Would you stand? Father God, you love us. And my goodness, the things you've created, the stars we've yet to see and discover. And you washed our feet. That is insanity. <laughs> that is so upside down with what the world calls success. And so God, let it be a forever, it is a forever eternal example, 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about it. We're still inspired to do the unwanted things in our family, to give up our selfish rights <laughs> and to serve others. And Lord, I pray for the kids in here that, uh, that they would recognize that, the efforts that their parents are making to love them well. I pray that if there are changes we need to make in our family, in our schedules, to prioritize you, that we would do that. We would own it. Own it. Be a father who owns your sin and apologizes to your kids when you need to. Be that dad. Lord, Father, you didn't commit a sin at all and you washed our feet. And so I pray, Lord, that for those in here that don't know you, they would understand what a humble Savior you are and they'd call on your name and be saved. And I pray for those that are already saved, that they'd come forward and be part of this church and say, sign me up. I don't know where I'm going to serve yet. Give me a minute, preacher. I need to get my, my, my church legs under me, but I, I do want to serve. I want to find a place to serve. Then come and sign up to be a member, a part of this church family. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.